Hello and welcome to Pause Pop, positively pop culture, where we talk about things we love enthusiastically and without guilt. I'm Carrie Gessner. And I'm KW Taylor. And today we are going to talk about feminism in writing and role-playing podcasts. I know last episode we actually promised we'd talk about Bob's Burgers and Orange is the New Black. But we had this interview come up and, and we also, Carrie had a book that she read that she was really excited about. So we're going to postpone those and talk about them in the next episode. And we can change our minds, FYI. <laughs> we can change our minds, yes. <laughs> okay, so I read recently a book by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, who is a Nigerian author. Um, she is known probably best for an, her novel Americana, and I guess it's a short nonfiction book called We Should All Be Feminists. But this book is called Dear Jolly, or A Feminist Manifesto in 15 Suggestions. And I actually got this book for my sister for Christmas, the Christmas after she had a little girl. I bought it for her and I hadn't read it. And I was like, that's kind of silly. And I saw it at the library the other day. And it's 63 pages, which is great because sometimes I have trouble prioritizing actual reading. (laughs) It's true. I do try to listen to audiobooks a lot, but my selection depends on what the library has and everything. So it's not always what I prefer to be reading, I guess. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. I do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I picked this up and it was short and I was like, hey, this is something I can do in an hour, which was great. Uh, it's a very accessible book because you've never read it. Right? I've never read it. No. The premise is that the author's friend is having a little girl and she asked Chimamanda how to raise her as a feminist. So... Chimamanda wrote this 60-page letter to her friend, I guess. (laughs) Which, is yeah, it's very cute. And it has 15 suggestions about how to raise a child with a feminist mindset um, without relying on jargon and feminist theory and everything. So it, it is very accessible and you don't have to, you know, be a scholar to understand the book. A couple of things I liked about it. Um, it starts off with she gives you two feminist tools to start with and the first one I really liked and it's just your feminist premise should be I matter I matter equally not if only not as long as I matter equally full stop which I really liked because sometimes I mean I definitely have trouble remembering that sometimes I don't know if you do yeah I do yeah like especially in interactions with other people um, sometimes it becomes more what am I doing wrong why is the other person reacting to me like this instead of, hey, I'm uncomfortable and this is not good, you know? Yeah. And I have to remember that my feelings matter and and all of that. But just I wanted to go through a couple of the suggestions. I'm not going to go through all 15 because I think you should read the book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, before you before you do that, can I ask the you said she had a couple of tools. Was there another tool, too, that she has? Yeah. The second tool is is just a question that you can use to um analyze i guess interactions and situations and it's just can you reverse x and get the same results i think one of her examples is like if you said x about men like if if you said men can't be astronauts would you get the same results as if you said women can't be astronauts Mm. and stuff like that that's great that's cool and i i think too i've been reading a lot of fiction but sometimes it's helpful to read nonfiction, especially fiction that gets me to slow down and and think about my life and how I interact with the world. 
So, yeah, a couple of the suggestions. Uh, the first one is just be a full person. And that is directed toward um, her friend. So the mother. And I, I'm i not a mother. I have a doggy. <laughs> but it's definitely not the same as having a child. My impression of motherhood in American society is that, yeah, it's a lot of, of self-sacrifice and putting your child in front of you, which is, I mean, that's the reality. Yeah. And um, it's absolutely necessary most of the time, but not always. <laughs> and um, her suggestion is just that, you know, she shouldn't give up her, her career to be a mom because you would never ask that of the man. Mm -hmm. Although some men do, and that's great if that's their choice. And it's great if it's a woman's choice, too. But she is like, take pride in your job. Even if, if even if you don't love your job, you can love what it does for you. It helps you be independent. It helps you, you know, exercise your mind and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that was a really good reminder. And even for me as not a mother, I was like, oh, yeah, you know what? I should, I should be a full person. Thank you, Chimamanda. <laughs> Thank you for that. Sometimes do you, do you like not feel like a full person sometimes? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I work totally from home right now. So even though I do a lot of different things in a day, I start to feel like not real if I don't interact with other humans in real human space in person. And for some reason that has been, I've been doing that for a couple of years now and it's really kind of messed with my sense of self a little bit. And even though I'm like incredibly busy, I also feel like, well, I can't be, I'm not real because I'm not out in the visible public space doing my work. Oh, no, I get that though. Yeah. I had a job where I basically spent all day with my headphones on, hardly interacting with people. And it, it really got to me at the end. And also I went, I get off work at 1am and last night I went to Walmart for toilet paper <laughs> But like, it's such a strange experience because there are not that many people there and they're restocking and there's like one cash register open out of 40. Yeah. <laughs> so you're in line and the people in front of you are like buying ice cream and, and ground meat. And I'm just like, what is, what's, what's that combo about? <laughs> the person behind you is buying like candy corn and I'm buying toilet paper and deodorant. <laughs> like, and it's almost two o'clock in the morning and I was just like, this is, this is such a weird experience and I don't feel like a normal person because normal people don't go out at 2 a.m. to buy toilet paper. Well, but yeah, clearly they do. You just, you're working a second shift job. I mean, having any kind of strangeness about your work that isn't a Monday through Friday, nine to five, that is seen in society as being you're not doing something quote unquote right. Like something is deviating from the norm and like there isn't a norm anymore. Do you know what I mean? No. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, I think that it's, I feel like both of these things we're putting on ourselves really of a expectation of what we think we should be doing or right. how we should be spending our time. So, yeah. Yeah. And on my way out the door, I was like, you know what, this this is a time that works for me. I'm glad I didn't go to Walmart at two o'clock in the afternoon when it was crazy busy mm -hmm. and at least I bought toilet paper yeah. you know <laughs> I was like that is that's the goal here <laughs> so yeah but sometimes it's just good to have the reminder of, yes I am a full person and I can choose how I want my life to be I guess another suggestion that I really liked is that she teach Chisalem which is the little girl's name to read 
Um, and I feel like as big readers and also authors, I feel like, how could I not love that one? Yes. You know? And I feel like you would like love that one too. Well, and did she talk in that one about the fact that having the mother teach the child to read, not just make sure the child knows how to read, but specifically you should be part of the teaching the reading process. Or was that not really her point? Yeah, that was her point. The next couple sentences are teacher to love books. The best way is by casual example. If she sees you reading, she will understand that reading is valuable. Well, I mean, I guess she doesn't necessarily make the point that you should read to them. I thought that was implied too. Did your parents read to you? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And my dad, so my sister and I had twin beds and he would lie down in between them and tell us stories too. Oh. To go to sleep. Yeah. It was adorable. And one of the things I really remember is that my mom especially would come home with books for me. Both of those were really formative in my childhood. And now they're like, dang, why do we do that? (laughs) She could have not been a writer. Oh, no. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. And then the very last suggestion that I'm going to pinpoint is teach her about difference, make difference ordinary, make difference normal. Teach her not to attach value to difference. And the reason for this is not to be fair or to be nice, but merely to be human and practical because difference is the reality of our world. And by teaching her about difference, you are equipping her to survive in a diverse world. And I think a lot about difference, and I think we both do as authors, and I think that is a good segue into how we incorporate feminism into our writing. Do you want to talk about that first? Yeah, um, and this was kind of an interesting idea to me because we both our main, both of us, our main writing output is fiction, wouldn't you say? Yes. I mean, do you ever write anything that isn't fiction? Not often. Poetry or any little nonfiction pieces or anything? I will sometimes write poetry. Occasionally, I'll write like a nonfiction blog post looking at something in pop culture. But that's it. It's not like paid professional work. Yeah, I mean, I primarily write fiction. I do write a little bit of poetry. I've been kind of noodling away at some poetry for the past couple of years and have one poem published. Oh, congrats. Oh, that was a while ago. Yeah, thanks. And I do write some nonfiction work that's a little bit more academic that does talk about feminism. But in terms of fiction, I mean, I think that one of the powerful things, especially about speculative fiction, is that it's always a tool for argument. And I've actually written articles about this topic before, that science fiction in particular is a political genre. It always has been. Mm-hmm. And being able to suffuse that with um, a particular ideology is, you know, a way to a way to spread philosophy without writing philosophy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So do you try to incorporate feminist themes in your fiction? I do. Some is conscious, like I try to write more inclusive characters, mm-hmm. and some is less conscious. Like, well, I guess one of the big examples would be in my epic fantasy trilogy. Can I call it a trilogy if it's not finished yet? <laughs> your planned trilogy. My planned your, trilogy. Your series. <laughs> in my epic fantasy series, I write a lot about the intersection of cultures. A lot of that was inspired by my time in the Peace Corps and living in Kazakhstan. And it's about people from different cultures who maybe have bad ideas about the other culture at first, but the more they interact with each other, the more they understand one another. So in that way, yeah, I think I think I do try to incorporate 
feminism into my works. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, I think, I think that any kind of like, that's kind of a cross-cultural exchange that could be equated to like a transnational feminism or intersectional feminism. So I think that's absolutely. I would assume that you incorporate it without really thinking about it sometimes, right? I mean, sometimes I do think about it though. Sometimes I, if I'm writing, I always try to have diverse casts if I've got a, a work that has a lot of characters, but I always try to make sure that Am I being sensitive to making sure that I'm avoiding stereotypes and ensuring that everybody kind of has a fully fledged, fully fleshed out identity and isn't being othered or objectified, you know? Right. I'm working on a sequel to my steampunk science fiction time travel novel. And in the first book of that series, it was a little bit more of one of the male characters was kind of the primary protagonist. And in this one, I was trying to make one of the female characters more of the primary protagonist. Ooh, tell me more. (laughs) (laughs) In the first book, the character of Violet is, I would say, maybe like a secondary lead. But in the second book, it's a lot more, there's a lot more scenes that are from her point of view. Mm -hmm. And that was a little bit more of a conscious choice. And then the the primary male lead from both books is um, an Indian American man. And it was purposefully on my part that he not be white. So that's not specifically feminist per se, but that's trying to make sure that I'm not having just another book series where it's a white male hero. Right. That makes a lot of sense. And as a fantasy writer, fantasy is very populated by white male heroes. So one of the things I did going in was make make it a female hero. And then also I tried to make the world more equitable So instead of having the main woman surrounded by men, I tried to make it a lot of women and a lot of different types of women. So book one was from Aurelia's point of view, primarily, who is white. And book two, uh, it splits into three points of view. So it's Aurelia's and then Adana's, who is biracial, and Mira, who is brown. So I I really tried to diversify the points of view in book two. And I think I'm going to try to do that further in book three. So yeah, in that way, it's it's definitely conscious because I'm, I was looking at the history of fantasy, which is primarily white and male, and just trying to consciously subvert that. That's awesome. Cool. Thank you. <laughs> I like to think the book is awesome, but <laughs> <laughs> it would be great if we could pick up this discussion in some interviews with some other writers down the line. What do you think about that? Yes. I do. I, I would like to do that. I, I know that we have plans to interview some other authors. And I'd love to see what they think about. Maybe their their theme that they're trying to get through isn't necessarily feminism per se, but how do they write about inclusion and equity and um, diversity and, and other themes that are important to them. So yeah. Yeah. And if anyone listening has suggestions for an author that you'd like to see us talk to, or if you are an author and would like to come on to talk about this stuff, let us know. Yep. But recently, KW, yes, you already did an interview. You got the I opportunity did. to do an interview. So tell us about that. So um, I recently had the privilege of speaking to Jeff Hessel about his new actual play role-playing podcast called The Cast Perilous. I'm actually appearing on that show in a future episode. I don't appear in the first few sessions, but I do show up 
I think, I'm not sure what episode he's going to have my character show up, but I am actually on that new show participating in an actual play role-playing podcast. So before we get into the interview where I talk to him about gaming, about his podcast, about his inspiration and stuff, I want to know just briefly, Carrie, what are your experiences with with role-playing gaming? My experience is that it seems really cool and I want to do it. (laughs) (laughs) My housemate is actually, she plays regularly and is very knowledgeable. So when I found that out last year, I asked her to be a DM for a group that I was trying to put together. Um, And unfortunately, our group only lasted two sessions. Oh, no. Uh, Yeah, it was just more of a scheduling thing. So uh, my experience is very intro. Okay. And that's the only only game you played then? Yeah. Okay. I've been gaming for several years, um, maybe as long as 10 or more years. But I still, I started it like as an adult. I didn't play it. I didn't play any role-playing games when I was a kid. I didn't talk to Jeff about this, but I think that perhaps back when you and I were, were a little bit different in age, but not that far. But I think when, when people of our two generations were kids, girls were not really doing this very much. Yeah. And that's changing, especially as there are so many more games. And I currently, in addition to being on this podcast that plays a particular role-playing setting, I also play Dark Heresy, which is a Warhammer 40k game, and I've been playing that for several years. And I've played other games too, like Vampire and um, Star Wars and Firefly and Doctor Who and all kinds of stuff. So even with all that experience, though, I wouldn't necessarily even call myself a gamer per se. I feel like that has a very specific kind of, no, I'm not sure why I wouldn't use that term. Is it because for a long time it was, it referred mostly to men? I mean, maybe, yeah. I mean, I literally play RPGs multiple times a month, and I play video games multiple times a day, and yet I'm like, oh, I don't know if I'm a gamer. (laughs) (laughs) I think maybe I am a gamer. I think maybe you are, yeah. I might be. I do do not watch um, Twitch streams all day and and follow professional gamers, and I don't follow esports, but I also think that it's cool that those things exist, you know? I think that's neat. And I think that... It's cool that these things that were a little bit marginalized have become a lot more popular and a lot more mainstream. So that's that's neat. And so, yeah, enjoy this interview with me and Jeff Hessel talking about his new gaming podcast. I just wanted to talk to you today about your new podcast. What's the name of your podcast and what's the game's basic premise? Well, it's called The Cast Perilous. It's an actual play RPG podcast in the more old school sense, not computer game, but the uh, dice and pencil and paper kind of RPG role-playing game. And uh, it's mostly a storytelling thing. It's set in or around an ancient fairy haunted forest called Dolmen Wood. Okay, so um, if someone has never listened to an actual play podcast, can you explain the concept? It's the same as role-playing with your friends, you know, at, at a table or wherever you happen to role-play, but it's recorded so that other people who might not happen to have local friends to play with can enjoy it almost as if they were there, okay. um, and I, I think that's the, mo- the main appeal of this type of thing. Great. Okay. So what rule system and setting is your game using? 
The OSR, the Old School Renaissance or the Old School Revival, is a movement in, I guess, modern role-playing that is a throwback to the old days, say the 70s and 80s, back when role-playing games were young. <laughs> and uh, this particular game is called Low Fantasy Gaming, which is an OSR-influenced system, which tries to recapture some of the old-school vibe. Um, it's uh, by Stephen J. Gradzicki, is the author. I believe he's Australian. It was a Kickstarter, which I backed, and I quite liked the system, so I decided to use it. But the setting, did you ask me about the setting? Yeah, the setting. (laughs) The setting is all Dolmenwood, which is, well, it it was once only available via the zines called Wormskin, which were either downloadable or print on demand bubble from uh, like drive through RPG, that type of thing. Uh, this gentleman named Gavin Norman uh, came up with a whole bunch of really thematic, fairy tale-esque type of stuff, kind of in the vein of Lord Dunsany or, or Susanna Clarke's um, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell type of thing, and wrote it all down in these periodic zines which were very disjointed and just little bits of information, but I loved it, so I gathered them all up and I extrapolated on them. And when he eventually puts out his official book sometime in 2020, we hope, our podcast will be well underway. And so, yeah, you'll be able to look up more about Dolmenwood at that point. Cool. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> So if somebody comes to your podcast, does a listener need to know how to play this or any other RPG to enjoy it? You shouldn't need to, no. It's mostly about the storytelling. And if you enjoy a good story, hopefully it'll be a good story. Um, (laughs) It's very much a dark fairy tale, I guess you might say. Uh, So if you you have role-played before, a lot of the you know, numbers that we mention, we roll and things will make more sense to you, but you definitely don't have to have any sort of background like that. Cool. So just talking about gaming in general, what advice do you have for someone who wants to play an RPG, but who's never done it before? There is the whole thing where you need one person to be the game master or the storyteller. So you generally are going to need at least two people, if not more than that. (laughs) So somebody's going to have to read the books and kind of know how to play the game. The rest of the people don't really. In theory, they can kind of learn it as they go. You pretty much just want to go to something like that with the desire to tell a story and to like get into your character. If, of course, you're running the game, it's a little bit more time intensive. So you should have at least one experienced person to run the game, probably. Or if if you want to be that experienced person, just read the books, (laughs) learn how to do it, and then run it for your friends, and your friends will all be like, wow, you're awesome, because (laughs) you're telling this great story, and we're characters in it, and that's a really cool concept, I think. Cool. Um, So, your experience as a gamer, what other games have you played and run? So many. 
What are some <laughs> of the favorites, if there's too many to... Oh, to I make? can do favorites, sure, sure. Um, well, definitely things based on the oldest role-playing game, America's Favorite, and beyond that, and all of the retro clones which have come out lately. Mm-hmm. Call of Cthulhu is one of my all-time favorite role-playing mm-hmm. games. Um, very much a horror based on H.P. Lovecraft and all of those pulp writers who wrote about cosmic things, which no one was meant to ever discover. It's great, great stuff. Great stuff. <laughs> one very accessible role-playing game, at least I would call it a role-playing game, is Fiasco mm-hmm. by Jason Morningstar, yeah. uh, which is something where you can just come together and you kind of collectively tell a story of kind of like a movie. Over the course of like two or three hours, you get together, you find out how your characters relate to each other, and you uh, tell a story together, kind of based on Coen Brothers type of movies. Anyway, yeah. lately I've been into <laughs> Swedish role-playing game systems that have been <laughs> translated to English, such as Simbarum, which is a fantasy role-playing game, and Coriolis, which is a science fiction RPG, which is been described as Arabian Nights in Space. There are a million, really. That's great. (laughs) Whatever whatever strikes your fancy. Cool. When you're playing, rather than when you're running a game, what's your favorite type of character to play? Oh, well, people will always say I'm the one who comes up with tons of backstory for my character. (laughs) Even if the character, you know, dies in the beginning, I, I can't go into it without figuring out like this intricate backstory for my character. I like playing characters with with personality, uh, characters that, uh, if we're talking about like traditional classes and things, I would lean toward the rogue or the thief, basically, someone who has to try and figure things out, the clever one. That's what I like to play. And then when you run a game, did that, when you started to GM a game, did that change your perspective on playing? Well, the thing about that is... From early on, way back when, I was the GM way more often than I ever played. It's definitely different, for sure, uh, running a game versus playing. I mean, you've played games. Have you yes. run? Have you run? I ran a pre-written Doctor Who game. Oh, okay. And I can't even remember if they finished it. I found it frustrating. Oh. to run a game. I played a lot, but I uh, it was it was illuminating how hard it was to get them to do what they needed to do. Oh, yes. <laughs> but that's the one thing that running a game you will learn very quickly is that the players will never do what you expect them to do. Yeah. So if you've got a story that's going one way and you expect them to do... You, you, you just have to be absolutely ready for any possibility. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of daunting. Yeah. But, uh, but uh, yeah, that's why I usually like to make it a sandbox and kind of, rather than have a particular story in mind, I like to come up with the world mm-hmm. and based on what my players do, I just roll with it. Well, that's easy. I think it, <laughs> I think it would be easier, too, to run a game that you've constructed that stuff instead of a pre-written adventure where there's... Definite yeah, plots yeah. Kind of... the, what's the, the term being kind of on the rails where, you know, you kind of have to go a particular direction. Mm-hmm. You have to do a particular thing. 
kind of the illusion of free will, but not really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I like, I prefer the free will. I yeah. prefer letting my players do whatever the heck they want. That's good. Cool. What made you want to run your own actual play podcast? Oh, well, okay. I've always been a game master, and I've always run games for people. And people have often told me they really like my stories, and so I decided, well, maybe, you know, these podcast things are, there's a lot of them out there, and there's actually a lot of people who really like them. And I was like, why not? <laughs> give, it a, give it a shot, you know? Um, I'll tell one of my stories. Maybe people who aren't in my immediate circle of friends might want to might wanna listen to it. Great. And uh, I, plus, I really love the setting. And I just really wanted to do more than usual with it, I guess. Awesome. <laughs> and so so you've listened to a lot of actual play podcasts. Are there a couple maybe that you might recommend? Well, I way prefer the ones that are story driven. Mm-hmm. I I mean, there's a there's a fine line between having fun and telling a good story. You need to you need to have both. <laughs> if it's too much a story and it's too dry and you can't tell what the people are having fun around the table, then that's that sucks. Mm-hmm. But but if if it's too much, you know, just acting like idiots, that's <laughs> I, I, I'm not too fond of that either. Yeah. Um. One. I, to actually answer your question, uh, there is one. <laughs> there's one called the Orpheus Protocol that I quite like. It is. A modern day setting, uh, and it's sort of a kind of kind of reminiscent of Hellboy or the you know, what is it the VPRD? Oh yeah. Um, basically, it's it's a bunch of people with kind of special powers. There are others that uh, let's see. <laughs> I still I would put in a plug for um, the Adventure Zone by the McElroy brothers. Oh, okay. I, I saw I saw a book about that. I yeah. haven't actually heard it. They um <laughs> they they do a couple different uh they play a couple different RPGs over the course of the series. I don't listen to it actually right now, but I listen to several of their longer like they'll have they'll have kind of one scenario that runs multiple episodes. So I've listened to a couple of those like modules. Cool. Um they might annoy you though because they do <laughs> joke, and they're brothers, and they play with their dad. They can do jokes. That's cool. But it, they get meta, like they make jokes about pop culture that would not exist in their world. That, that's so. that's okay. But that's it's okay. very story driven, and it's it's pretty hilarious. That's awesome. I'll have to listen. I actually thought of one. It's called uh, Dice for Brains. Oh, cute. And uh, they've done a lot of different uh, different rules and games. In fact, I was considering that for the Cast Perilous, maybe doing this Dolmenwood thing for a while, and then maybe trying something else. Oh, cool. But, uh, but as for Dice for Brains, they started off with Star Wars, the role-playing game, mm-hmm. and uh, that was really good. I liked it a lot. They got into their characters. I really, I really appreciate that. Cool. <laughs> cool. Well, those all sound really good. Do you have any other, like, comments or exciting yes. things you want to mention? I do. Okay. You're on my podcast. I am. I'm going to be mentioning that in the intro, <laughs> yes. So, yes, I am on your podcast, and I play kind of a thief rogue character who I based on a character from an old music video. Um, really? It was the first thing that came to my mind when we were talking about this game. And <laughs> what character from what music video? It's from an Adam and the Ants music video for Stain and Deliver, and there's this character who's like this... Um, she gets robbed, but I always thought, wouldn't it be cool if she was actually one of the highwaymen 
Oh, that's cool. And like it was just this little, but I mean, I, I've taken her in a totally different sort of direction. Right, but that was right. my first, <laughs> my first it. little germ of an idea. That's great. And I do that a lot. Like I feel like when I design a character, I have a character that I'm playing in a Dark Heresy game that is kind of based on Storm from the X Men, but then I took her in a totally different that's awesome. direction. And that's great. They never quite end up being what you originally anticipated. Right, yeah. It's just a jumping off point. A lot of it is, is just visual, and then I think, okay, well then what might the rest of that story be? Um, right. So, yeah. Well, that's one of the coolest things about role-playing, is you get to make a character and then see how that character grows and develops as you actually go through a story. And yeah. you, can, you can really get into it. It's kind of awesome. <laughs> well, great. Thank you so much. We've oh. got to go play this game now. Yeah, we're going to go play right now. So, <laughs> Thank you so much, Jeff. Thanks for, thanks for talking to me today. You're very welcome. All right. Thanks for having me. Thanks. So I want to thank Jeff again for letting me interview him, and his show will be premiering soon, and we will announce that when it happens. You will be able to find The Cast Perilous wherever you get your podcasts. And on the next episode, we promise that we really will talk about Bob's Burgers and Orange is the New Black. <laughs> Our theme music is by Joseph McDade. You can find me on Twitter at Carrie Gessner. And I'm on Twitter at KW Taylor Writer. If you'd rather email us, you can do that at positivelypopculture at gmail.com. And you can find our podcast together on Twitter at Pause Pop Podcast. Thanks for listening, and join us next time for another episode of Pause Pop. Pause Pop.